you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Joel, and uh, we'll be in chapter number two tonight. We'll actually finish uh, chapter number two of the book of Joel. When we left off last week, if you remember, uh, Israel was in the midst of this great plague. It was like none other, uh, nothing uh, they had seen uh, before this time was was as terrible as this plague, and uh, it was going to be the worst thing they were going to see for several generations. And so uh, they're in this plague, and and God tells them basically in the first part of chapter two that you know it's, He doesn't relish the idea of of seeing them suffer, but uh, He had purposes in bringing this plague upon them, and those purposes were to to draw them nearer to him and get them to turn from their sin and from their idolatry. And now you hear the heart of God and, and this great description Joel gives of God in verse number 13, I mean, uh, of chapter 2. I believe it's verse number 13. Where am I? Shoot. Let's see. Ah, there it is. It is verse number 13. He says, so rend your heart and not your garments and return to the Lord your God. And here's the part I was looking for. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. In other words, the Lord didn't want them to be suffering under this plague. The Lord wanted them to turn, to turn back to him. And if they were to turn, look at the last part of that verse, and he relents from doing harm. And then I love, the la I love the last part of that passage, verse number 14. And who knows? I mean, if he, if he, if he relents and takes this plague away, uh, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. That's his heart. His heart is to bless Israel, to, to bless us. It's not to, to cause harm to us. The harm came because they were drifting away from the Lord and into sin and into idolatry. And, and he wants them to turn back. And if they'll just turn back, not only will he end the plague, he'll leave a blessing behind. Things will be better than they were before. And so uh, as we come to verse number 15, Joel's going to call again for this national repentance. Look, look down at verse number 15. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion. And whenever they blew the trumpet, that was to call the people to action. And he says, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. In other words, everybody in the nation needs to be involved in this, this repentance that's gonna, that needs to take place. He says, even let the bridegrooms go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. In other words, this thing is so important, this... this uh, fast that the Lord is calling for, this turning from, from their sin and, and uh, to try to get this plague to end. It's so important that even, it even trumps uh, a bride and his bridegroom's uh, honeymoon. And so uh, the wedding and the honeymoon. And so everybody needs to drop what they're doing and they need to come uh, and consecrate themselves to the Lord. And then he talks to the priests the ministers, and listen to what he says in verse number 17. He says, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch 
and the altar. In other words, I want you to withdraw from the altar and I want you to go out to where the people are. And I want you to see what's happening to the people. You, can, you know, it's really easy in the ministry to kind of isolate yourself from the masses. And so here they are ministering in the altar and, and they really don't see all the trauma that's taking place among the people. And so he says, what I want you to do, I want you to go out to the porch where the people are. And I want you to see how bad things are. And I want you to weep. He says, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the, and the altar. Feel for the people. I mean, try to, get, try to do your best to get the people to turn. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Pray for the people. Call out for the people. And do not give your heritage to, to reproach. Don't give the nation of Israel up for reproach. Don't let them be destroyed through this plague. That the nation shall rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? I mean, Israel wasn't like the rest of the nations. They, I mean, if any of the pagan nations were under some type of judgment like this, they could call upon their gods and there was nothing their gods could do. But the Lord God, Jehovah, is the God of all gods. And he, could, he can change the situation that they're in. He can stop this plague. And so why are they acting like they, they don't even have a God? And so he tells the priest, hey, get, the, get out there with the people, pray for the people, uh, get the people praying, and uh, get back into a strong relationship with the Lord. And, and uh, if they will truly repent, look at the next verse. He says, then the Lord will, then the Lord will be zealous for the, his land, and he will pity his people. The Lord always pities his people, but he will act on that uh, pity. And so he, he says in verse 19, the Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. In other words, what the Lord is saying right here, if they would repent, then he would relent and he would relent from this plague and the plague would end and they would go back into a time of of blessing, the time when he restored their crops and their vats were full and, and their uh, barns were full and, and they were blessed people again. But this prophecy goes beyond just the immediate plague of locusts here. He's also talking about a time far off from the day when he wrote this prophecy, uh, when the people, people are going to be gathered back into the land and they will no longer be a reproach to the nations. You know, Israel is a reproach to the nations. Why are, they why are they a reproach? Because God has made them a reproach. I mean, look, look, at, look at the end of verse number 19. He says, I will no longer make you a reproach. Why do the nations hate Israel? Because God's put it in the heart of pagan nations to hate Israel. He's put it in their hearts. When you get over to, when we get over to Zechariah and you get this prophecy of the millennium of the last days, the Armageddon, it's almost like a, you know, in some ways it's more detailed about Armageddon and about the second coming of Christ than the book of Revelation is. The Revelation is concentrates on certain details that, that uh, uh, you don't get in uh, Zechariah, but Zechariah concentrates on certain details that you don't get in the book of Revelation. But over in the book of Zechariah, towards the end, 
He says in chapter 12, and you don't have to flip there, let me just read it for you. He says, and it shall happen in that day, I will make Jerusalem. Talk about the days leading up to the great tribulation. I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the nations. But all who would heave it away will surely be cut to pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. So shortly before the great tribulation in Armageddon, God is going to make Israel repulsive to all the nations. Does that sound familiar? You better believe that's exactly who's done that. The Lord has done that. And I mean, you, you stop and think about it. You got that little sliver of land over there in the Middle East. And how much of the news centers around that nation? I mean, the UN is almost, it seems that they're established to, to deal with Israel. I mean, that's their main uh, focus in a lot of what they do is, is dealing with the nation of Israel. And if you go to any nation in the world, maybe other than the United States, and you ask them what nation causes the world the most trouble, they're not going to say Russia or North Korea like we might say. They're going to say Israel. You know, you get rid of the, the Zionists and, and uh, the world will be a great place. And that's the attitude of most of the world, including the European Union. And so uh, one day... All those nations who hate Israel, who detest Israel, are going to gather their armies against Israel. And then the Lord is going to return at Armageddon. He's going to destroy those armies. And then the Lord is going to land his feet on, on the Mount of Olives. He's going to then rule and reign in all, really, he's going to rule and reign in Israel over all the world. And so no longer will Israel be a reproach of the nations. Israel actually will be the center of government and commerce for all the nations. And so it's going to be exactly the opposite of what it is now. There won't be any UN telling Jesus what to do. I can tell you that right now. And he, is, he is going to be a despot like no other despot. He's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. And things are going to be his way or the highway. Uh, so uh, Israel will be in a very good position in that day. And uh, guess what? You'll get to rule and reign with him. All right, verse number 20. He says, But I will remove from you the northern army, and I will drive, away into, drive him away into a barren and desolate land, with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up. He's, it, the... the this army is going to be destroyed and it's going to be like a smell like a lot of dead people because there's going to be a lot of dead people. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done terrible, monstrous things. He being uh, the leader of this northern ar this army that comes out of the north. Now that could be referring to uh, what took place about a hundred years after Joel wrote this prophecy when Sennacherib came down from Assyria and he invaded the northern kingdom and then tried to invade the southern kingdom. And then right behind him, Sargon II came down and he invaded Israel and he, uh, he destroyed the northern kingdom. He burnt Samaria down to the ground and he came up against Israel 
in the southern kingdom, and he was about, and he had done these monstrous things. I mean, he had he had he had uh, slaughtered uh, hundreds of thousands of Israelites, and the ones that remained, he put fish hooks in their nose and sent them off into captivity. I mean, he was a he was a terrible, terrible person, and uh, so. Uh, he came down into to the southern kingdom and was about to do the same thing, except by a miracle of God, uh, when God intervened and sent him marching back up north. That's one fulfillment of that prophecy. But there's also a fulfillment right before the great tribulation or during the great tribulation. Either way, you might find fulfillment in this because, because the normies, just about everything comes from the north during Armageddon. But I think he's talking here, uh, or this prophecy fits perfectly with Ezekiel 38 and 39. I don't know if you've ever read Ezekiel 38 and 39, but if you get a, you get a chance uh, when you get back home tonight, you want to read what's going to happen maybe shortly before the tribulation. Russia, a coalition of armies led by Russia, Iran, Syria. Those, that, that sound familiar? I mean, you see the coalition already there. They're going to, all of a sudden, they're going to go down and they're going to invade Israel. They're going to come against them when they're least expected. And all this, this massive army. And then there's going to be an earthquake. And when the earthquake takes place, God's going to intervene for Israel. They, they would have they been destroyed if he didn't intervene. And God's going to intervene and they're gonna, he's going to destroy this Russian army and this a coalition of Middle Eastern armies, and there's going to be, a, it's going to be so bad that it's going to take them seven years to get rid of the stench, to get rid of all the dead bodies, to get rid of all the, the weaponry that's left there during that earthquake. But God's going to destroy that army. Now, some people say that battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is, is Armageddon. I, I used to think that myself. I tend to think now it's not. And maybe when we get to the book of Revelation and we've got more time to deal with that particular battle, we'll actually talk about is that the battle of Armageddon, Ezekiel 38 and 39. But it is the battle that he's talking about right here. That's the, pro that's the one he's prophesying of. Whether or not uh, it's Armageddon or whether or not it's right before Armageddon, we, we know it's, it's, it's one of the two. And in any case, it's, gonna, it's in the very last days that this battle takes place. And uh, right before Jesus returns to the earth, because look at verse 21 and 22. He says, fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. I love that song. The Lord has done great things. The Lord, oh, how my soul shall sing. The Lord has done great things. I'm going to tell you what, you think that now, you can sing that now, you wait until the millennium begins. You'll be singing, oh, the Lord has done great. When you hear that trumpet blow and you're called up in, into heaven, you're going to say, the Lord has done great things. When you see Jesus ruling and reigning on this earth, you're going to say, the Lord has done great things. And at some point, that's what Israel's going to say. He says, fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you beast of the field. For the, pastures are spring, for the open pastures are springing up. The tree bears fruit. The fig tree and the vine tree... Uh, their strength. Now, there, there is a, a sense that there's an immediate uh, fulfillment here in the end of this locust plague. But I think really more than anything else here, he's talking about the coming millennium. And the reason I say that, because it says, do not be afraid, you beast of the field. 
Remember what Paul said over in Romans chapter 8, verse 22? He says, the whole creation groaneth, waiting for the adoptions of the sons and daughters of God. I mean, even the animals groan now. Even the animals suffer now. They, they, they don't, you know, I, I don't think they have a theology, but they, they figured out that things aren't the way they should be, but that things could be better than they are. We've all figured that out, that this is a fallen world. They know it's a fallen world. But one day the lion is going to lay down with the lamb, and that's in the millennium. And, the, and, the, and the, the beast of the field won't be afraid of other beasts. They won't be afraid of humans anymore. I mean, there won't be any duck dynasty in the millennium. You won't be killing the lions and the, and the alligators and whatever they kill. Sorry, Roy, no, no hunting. I don't think. Maybe there will be. Maybe God will have some, some, some deer just for people that, that love hunting that much. But no, in that day, the beast won't even be afraid because everything will be made right. Everything will be made right. And then he says, be glad then, verse 23, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you. Now, this is a passage. Let me just stop there. I'm stopping in the middle of a sentence that is really taken out of context. And we're going to figure this out here, and you're going to see, see that it is. For the Lord has given you the former rain faithfully. The former rain. And he will cause the rain to come down to you later. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Whenever in, in the Hebrew you see the first month, it means in the beginning. It's a way of saying the beginning. In the beginning of some new thing that God is doing. Uh, the first month. The threshing, threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with, flow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts. And, and, and then you can see how he kind of morphs this into a, a, a conversation about the end time, about the great tribulation. He says, my great army which I sent among you I, I will be put away. All right, so from a literal, immediate, physical standpoint, the prophet's telling us that, that hey, telling Israel, hey, take hope. I mean, take hope because, hey, it rained before this locust plague, and it's going to rain after this locust plague. But there's also this spiritual and prophetic fulfillment uh, that applies to the very last days or the really I say the last days the last days and the day of the Lord there's the former rain before the great tribulation and, and, and this plague of locusts remember is like a picture of the great tribulation so there's this former rain and we're talking about in a spiritual sense what's that mean where God rains out his spirit now let me ask you something when did the former rain begin before the Great Tribulation. When did that begin? At Pentecost. Okay. So then you have the Great Tribulation. And you're going to have the latter rains. And from Pentecost to the Great Tribulation. Or really until the Great Tribulation begins. We call that the church age. And I believe... That's the prophet here is speaking of the church age when he's speaking of the 
former reigns. The former reigns are begin at Pentecost and they'll take place until uh, the great tribulation. And then we'll get into the latter reigns. Again, remember that passage we looked at in Zechariah chapter 12. All of this will come together as we go through all these minor prophets and then we get into Revelation. But in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 12, right, bef right as Jesus, right before he comes, it says, and at the end of the great tribulation, he says, I will pour out uh, on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. That's a rain. That's a spiritual rain and supplication. Then they will look on him whom they pierced, and they will mourn as a mother grieves for her firstborn child. So there's the former reigns, and there's the latter reigns. Now, these, you, I hear these Pentecostal pastors all the time say, hey, man, get ready for the, get ready for the latter reigns. Get ready for the, the reigns that are going to come right before the Great Tribulation. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches here. I think if you time this and, and uh, look at the prophecy of Joel, you'll see that, and that's where they're coming up with these latter rains, that the latter rains take place after the plague. And what's the locust plague a picture of? It's a picture of the Great Tribulation. And so you're not going to see the latter rains, but you are, we are, you know, in a period of the former rains, the rains that take place before the second coming of Jesus Christ. All we, what we need to do is get with the program. There's plenty of rain there. There's plenty of spiritual rain. If we're open to receiving that rain, it's coming down right now. The spirit of God is, is moving right now and he's touching people right now and he's pouring out his spirit on people right now. We're in that period of the former rains before this terrible plague comes upon the earth. But then will then will come the great tribulation, uh, uh, and the age of the church will be over, and the former reigns will be done, and then uh, immediately after that uh, uh, there will be the latter reigns. When and, and notice in Zechariah it says, "I will pour out on the house of David." Who are the latter reigns for? The latter reigns are for Israel. Right now, God is pouring out his spirit on both Jew and Gentile. But in those days, when he's, the church age is over, he's going to pour out his spirit on uh, the Jew. And, and that's where you're going to have these latter rains. And we're not going to be involved in those latter rains. Those latter rains are going to be all God's work. And they're going to be all that rain is going to come down on the Jews. And that's when the Jews are going to look upon the Lord whom they pierced. And they're going to mourn as a woman mourns for her firstborn child. And they're going to turn to the Lord and they're going to be truly born again. And they will serve him as their king. And he will be king of kings forever and ever and ever. And, and when that day comes, look at verse 20. And you shall eat plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God. And he's speaking to Israel here who has dealt wondrously with you. The Lord has done great things. The Lord has done great things. And my people shall never be put to shame again. They will no longer be a reproach to the nations because their king will be the king of the world, not just the king of Israel. And then you shall know that I'm in your midst, Israel. See, how, see the timing of this? After the, after the latter rains, 
After the latter rains, the Lord rules and reigns on the earth and you shall know that I'm in your midst. You'll see me. God Almighty sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. You don't think that's going to be a nice place to visit? You might not want to go there now, but I promise you, you will want to go there when the Lord's reigning there. I am the Lord your God, Jehovah Elohim, and there is no other. There is no other God. There are not three gods. There is one God, Jehovah Elohim. There is no other God. My people shall never be put to shame. He says that twice. And here's a people that has been put to shame for century after century after century. And one day when the Lord returns and he rules in Zion, they will never be put to shame again because they will have the spirit of God poured out on them in those latter rains and they will know that Jesus is God. I want you to watch the timing of all this because what he's going to do next, he's going to go back to the former rains and he's going to go back to Pentecost. How do, now, I wouldn't know this and you wouldn't know this except by the Spirit of God speaking through Peter in Acts chapter 2. So go with me to Acts chapter 2. And try to keep your place there in Joel. In fact, if you just want to look for a second, look at verse number 28. We'll just read it, then we'll go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 28. Watch this. And this used to really cause me a lot of problems. It just didn't seem to make sense. But we're going to make some sense out of it. Peter's going to tell us how to make sense out of it. Look at verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will, afterwards, afterwards, after what? After this day. Sometimes after this event, after the day Joel was speaking in, that, I, that God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, we, that's different from the latter rains. Because in Zechariah, the latter rains were told that it's poured out on the house of David in Jerusalem. Here it's pulled out on all flesh. So that tells us that the spirit is going to be poured out on Jew and Gentile. See the big difference and see how you, you can get the timing here. And your sons and your daughters, Jew and Gentile, shall prophesy. The old man shall, your old man shall dream dreams and your young man shall see visions and also your on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then boom, watch what happens. Then I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Now we know, we know from Revelation, what is he speaking of here? He's speaking of the great tribulation. What, is he speaking of the great tribulation in verse 28? No, because Peter's going to show us that he's not speaking of the great tribulation in verse 28. He's speaking of the former reigns. He's speaking of the church age when it began. He says, and it shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also in my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and I will show wonders in heavens and in on the earth, blood and fire and smoke and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. So we know this, this happens before the second coming. Okay? And, and this, this, we know exactly when it happens because now go with me to Acts chapter 2. Go with me to Acts chapter 2 and we're, remember what had happened. 
the, the tongues had come down, the tongues of fire had come down and landed upon the disciples and they began to speak in various languages and they began to do miracles. We're in Acts chapter 2. And, and everybody thought they were drunk. And Peter says, no, we're not drunk. That's not what that is. Listen to what he says in verse chapter 2, verse 16. He says, but this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. What happened today is what Joel was prophesying when he prophesied about the former rains. Not the latter rains, the former rains. Are y'all catching all of this? Okay. And he says, and then he quotes from Joel. And he said, it shall come to pass in the last days that, that the last days. Now, here's where a lot of people go wrong. The last days are not necessarily the very last days. The last days begin at Pentecost and they end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. The latter days begin with the day of the Lord and you have the day of the Lord. So the very the latter days are the days we live in. You're very close to the coming of the Lord. So there's a big difference. We saw the latter days in, in I believe in first John last week. We saw the latter days. So there's a, there's a difference, a big difference there. All right, so he says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, and Peter says, this is that. This is what you're seeing. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young man shall see visions. Your old man shall dream dreams. And the manservants and on, the, and on my manservants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. This is that. This is what you're seeing. Now, Joel even tells us how long the church age is going to last. He even tells us how long these miracles are going to last. Because how does he end the passage? What does he go to next? He starts with the former reigns when they begin. And they begin, we know, at Pentecost. And then we know they end. Where do they end? Because then I will show wonders in heaven above and the signs of the earth beneath blood and fire and the vapor of smoke. Uh, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so you catch this and this is really important because what he's saying here is that the former rains begin with Pentecost and they will end with the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord begins with what? The gray begins at night. We've seen that before in Hebrew. When does the day begin? At night. And what's the night? It's the great tribulation. So this age of miracles, this church age, when many people are going to get saved, when the Spirit of God is going to be poured out, began at Pentecost and it didn't end with the apostles. See, see how this blows away this idea of cessationism, that somehow the gifts ended? No, they end when you, hey, they, if, if you've seen blood on the moon and, and you've seen the, uh, the sun turn dark and all that, then you can say, hey, yeah, it ended. But that hadn't happened yet. That hadn't happened. That doesn't happen. He tells us when it happens. But it, that happens before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And so from that period of Pentecost to the period in which we're living now until the, till, till the, the great tribulation begins, we're in an age of miracles. We're in an age where God is doing miracles. He's pouring out his spirit on people. We don't have to wait for latter rains. 
The former rains will do us just fine. Our problem is we, we got this umbrella of the world keeping those rains from coming down on top of our spirits. We put the umbrella down and open up our hearts and look up to the Lord and he'll pour his spirit out on us. We have to wait for that. That's available to us now. Gifts have not ceased. We're in the age of gifts. We're in the church age. And I love the next part, and we can pick it back up in Joel. If you go back with me to Joel, you can stay there in, uh, you can stay there in uh, Acts and get it too, but listen to what he says. And it shall come to pass during that age, during the age of the former reigns, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is pouring out his spirit right now on this land. And anybody that will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that exactly what Peter said? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, and, and, and then you get this, you know, I, I wish he'd just put a date line on here, but he doesn't. Then you come to the former reigns. And in Mount Zion, you could put that conjunction there. And in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance too. And the Lord, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So there's the church age where whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. And then there's the former reigns where the Lord pulls up, pours out his spirit on everybody in Israel. And everybody is saved. And isn't that exactly what Paul tells us? All of Israel will be saved. If you happen to be an Israelite living in that day, the Spirit of God is going to come upon you whether you like it or not. Because they don't like it. They don't like the name Jesus. You, you know, you, you almost wasted your time going over there. There's a blindness has been given to them until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That's what the Bible tells us. You're not going to lift that blindness. Only God's going to lift that blindness. And he's going to lift that blindness when he pours out his spirit upon his people. And that's not going to happen until the latter rains. And in the latter rains, all of Israel will be saved. For in the Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the remnant who the Lord calls. In the church age, those who call upon the Lord are saved. And really they're called to. I mean, it takes the Spirit of God for you even to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's the former range. Then come the latter rains. It all makes sense, doesn't it? It's pretty cool how all that works out and ties right there perfectly with the book of Acts. And don't let anybody tell you the gifts have ceased. Get to explain that to you. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and for your word and just how encouraging it is. And uh, we have so much to look forward to in the future. Lord, because of your work, your spirit, you give us hope, Lord. You give us salvation. Uh, even our faith is a gift from you. Father, we just thank you that we're living in this age. Let us be cognizant of the fact that, that we're living in a grand age where, where people are getting saved, Lord. Let, uh, the devil's not winning anything, Lord. You've already won the game, this game of life, Lord. It, it, it's there for the taking, and Lord. So just use us as you would use us in these last days. And Lord, we long for your coming, and we... We say Maranatha, Lord Jesus. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.